0: This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasoolillah alaihi afdalu salam wa manu ala amma ba'd Once again, salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Looks like we need another table um, If you guys still mind, please, if you could just hand the sisters that last table at the back there Yeah We want you to get close but not necessarily feel the love to that extent You want some space as well, Right So we'll take care of that. Yeah. Yeah, just just right at the back, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. how are we doing, brothers and sisters? Lots of action happening this week, huh? Lots of things happening. Um, Can somebody tell me? Uh, the young men that were trapped in the cave. Why are we talking about people who got trapped in a cave? What's so special about people who just got locked up in a cave? And in addition to that, they were hiding there. Why is that such a significant? Uh, Part of not only the Quran, but a section of one of the most important surahs in the Quran is dedicated to talking about this Why? Just talk to me about what you remember. We said yes uh, last week Whatever comes to mind. It's all good Hmm? Okay, it's to stick (coughs) to Okay, so They definitely wanted to hold on to their faith. They wanted to protect their faith. Um, Sometimes when you have to seek refuge to protect your deen, uh, sometimes you have to do that. You can't be, and I'm sure this would make sense to all of us, right? You can't be Muslim everywhere you go, even though that is your fundamental right. It's not easy to practice your faith everywhere you go on the face of this earth, like there are certain places you go to, you'll be restricted to an extent, you'll be limited, um, you'll have to face certain consequences, you might even be targeted and that sort of thing, right? So these individuals going to this cave and finding uh, refuge and protection is actually something that is a part of protecting our own faith to, to, to some extent if we were in a similar situation. What did they do when they got into that cave? What did they do? They just sat there and waited or? First thing they did is what? What does that tell you about these individuals? They had strong what? They had strong belief. They had strong faith. How did they get strong faith? Just imagine, right? You are running away from persecution, right? You are running away to the extent now you've got to hide within the mountains in a cave and just sit there. No food, no water, nothing. And it's so you and a bunch of, I guess maybe they're friends at that point, but prior to that, they were just random people. But they all had one thing in common, right? Their faith was the same. So they end up becoming, or at least coming together and now they're in this cave what, how did they develop faith to that extent where despite their conditions despite what they were exposed to they still just spoke to Allah they still had this like positive outlook and certainty with Allah how in the world did they do that You all know the answer because um, we mentioned one thing, very important that uh, for you to develop faith at that level where nothing will break your faith. Maybe you might be physically broken, emotionally broken, but spiritually broken, maybe to an extent, but you're grounding your faith with Allah, your trust in Allah, that's never broken. How do you get there? What must you do? There's a number of things that you do, but we talked about a couple of them last week. Does anybody remember some of those things? What is Allah's biography? The names of Allah. And what did we say you must do about the names of Allah? Don't just memorize them. Memorizing has no benefit unless you follow up that memorization with fahim, with understanding. It has no, it doesn't really have much benefit. Like sometimes I go to like these events where somebody will make a dua and they'll recite all 99 names. And like 20 minutes, he's just spitting out every name of Allah but he probably knows maybe five or six of them what they actually mean. That's only translation, not what they entail, how they work, how do you use it, how do they benefit you, how do you use uh, uh, the names of Allah to help you in dua. All of that stuff is missing. So so in essence, the, the memorization of those names really doesn't go far. So that's Allah's biography. That's how Allah tells us who he is and a little bit about him. Uh, these individuals there's a good chance that they knew Allah to the extent that they trusted him no matter what their circumstance was uh, when they were at their lowest they definitely turned to Allah and they kept turning to Allah and it's a tough thing to do you have to have a strong faith yes go ahead i don't have done this or not i don't that Yeah, I I have taught the course many times, actually. And um, every time I teach the 99 names of Allah, I feel like I don't know anything. Like, it's one of those courses. I really feel like I know nothing and I'm learning it for the first time. It's it's really, it's it's very in-depth. There's a lot of theory behind each of the names. There's a lot of ayat you, you go through. A lot of um, opinions among scholars. Some of it, most of it is very good. Some of it is very strange, but it's common. So we kind of iron through some of those things. Uh, There's a lot of misunderstanding, misinterpretation around all the names of Allah. And um, once you can navigate through that, you get to a place where you really see the essence and beauty of each of those names. And then we talk about how how to use them. Uh, inshallah, you know, maybe, who knows, that might be a subject after this one. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that subject. As a matter of fact, that's my major. I, when I went to the University of Medina, I specialized in aqeedah, which involves the 99 names of Allah. So that's my specialty that I um, focus on. Anyhow, okay. So, some time goes by, and we talked about this particular ayah actually yeah this particular a we talked about this massive creature this massive dog that came and the purpose of this dog was for what does anybody remember right it's just more of like a, a deterrent or distraction so in essence it was sent there to just sort of protect to guard the cave to an extent right and then we we diverted, or at least went in a side tangent just about dogs in general. And because dogs are so common and part of our culture here, we see them everywhere, um, our neighbors, our friends, all of them have dogs. Uh, we talked about, very briefly, some, uh, some of the things in terms of etiquettes with dogs, with having dogs, and interacting with dogs. Does anybody remember some of the things that we mentioned very quickly? What did we say, like, okay, so let me start you off. Are we allowed to, like, have a dog? Yes. 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 Uh, Does anybody... So, so, yeah, we can touch the dog. We can pet a dog. Uh, All right, you can use the dog with... uh, You can have a dog as long as it has, like, a purpose behind it, so it guards your house, you can use it as a security or guard dog. Um, You might see that uh, people who are blind, sometimes they walk in the mall and they have like dogs that help them sort of walk around and do things, that's perfectly okay. Nobody hunts for their food anymore, I assume, right, nobody goes hunting here, so. But if you did, uh, you can use a dog to hunt. Uh, Let me ask you a quick question, let me see if any of you um, have studied this fiqh before. If the saliva of the dog is haram. And you send it hunting and it catches like a goose or something. How does it bring it back to you? With its mouth. So how are you supposed to eat it if it's holding this animal with its mouth and it's obviously its saliva is mixed into the animal? So what do you do? Mm-hmm. So if it's a trained dog, it won't feed on it. Okay, so this dog is not gonna feed on it. It's still gotta bring it to you. It's gotta hold it in their mouth. What are you gonna do this is why fiqh is so important right so scholars they say there's a rule behind when the dog brings back this animal to you it cannot be dead once it comes to you you finish it off with the slaughter Aha! Uh-huh, you see how that works that's why fiqh is so important right our common sense will take us one direction but A lot of the times, our common sense is just simply wrong, right? Or we just can't seem to figure out logically, like, how do I navigate through this scenario? But fiqh is really beautiful. And so, yeah, um, dogs can do that. If the dog brings you back an animal, like a rabbit or something, and it's dead, then it's haram. You can't eat it. Okay? Because it died in a way that is on Islam. Now some the Imam Malik and others, they said if you say Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, then you release the dog and it goes and it kills the animal, then technically that can be uh, acceptable as well. But khair. Um, Sorry. So, yeah? So how does that answer the question? If a dog brings a larger animal, but it has survival on it, you have to watch No, you just simply slaughter it, finish off the kill. And that's the whole, one of the purpose of the slaughter, is that it drains out all the impurities of that animal. Right so if you've ever witnessed how a slaughter is done it's very meticulous there's just not, you don't just sort of like kill the animal however you feel you know there's particular areas and veins and arteries and certain things that you aim at uh, for the animal to die quickly and in the most humane way and so on but it's also the best way to remove all of its bacteria and impurities and other things if it has some disease or something all of that can be removed right that's why halal slaughter is the purest most. Healthiest, safest form of consuming meat in existence. Anyhow, let's get let's go going. We we are at verse number seventeen, and you'll see the okay. So we did verse number seventeen. We're on eighteen, right? Finish. We, finished 18. we finished eighteen, so let's go on to nineteen. Yeah. Okay. And we go on to nineteen. hum <laughs> li Take a look at this conversation. They're still in the cave. Look, look what ends up happening. And in that state, they start asking each other. One of them asked, how long were we here? And we talked about this, didn't we, right? But now it's going to go into a little bit more detail. They responded at least three plus the questioners of four. So they say at least, They say at least, you know, a day or so. So this is three plus the questioner, so four individuals. This is the ayah that kind of hints to exactly how much persons are in this cave. So the word, um, when you see here, let me highlight it here so you see that. See this word here, this word has to be at least three or more some scholars say it must be at least two or more so let's assume we take it to the max that it's three persons at least this questioner is asking so we know at least there must be three plus the one that's asking so there's four persons here so far okay So they're trying to figure out how long they were in this cave. We remained a day or maybe a few days. Now another group responds. So this is the first group is having this conversation. Now there's another group in there. So remember we said that they split split in there. Why did they split? What happened to them? Why did this group split in, in the cave? Because they're young people, and what do young people do half the time? They just argue about like random things. So they started arguing. You know how long they've been in there. One person says this amount, that person, and they just kind of like split up, right? So this other group now said, at least. So the same word is used. A'lamu bima this other group says, "Your master knows how long you've been here." The point is, is the same word is being referenced to this other group. So it's safe to say that at least three, again, is this other group. So now there's a total of maybe. Now, we don't know the exact number, by the way. We're just assuming. The scholars, them, they extract that this is the possibility. Like, there might be at least six or seven of them in this cave. Does the number matter? No, it doesn't. Like we could literally just zoom through all of this and we don't even have to talk about it and it's perfectly fine, right? But it's just, it's interesting to, to an extent to understand at least a little bit of the language, what the language hints to. So there's at least three others. So now there's a total of maybe our seven in total. Your master knows how long you were here. This answer, Your master knows how long you were This seems like... What what's the difference between the first group and the second group now? Listen, look at the answer of the second group, but the first group said so maybe a day or a little bit more. What's the difference between the two? One clearly just gave the, the a straight straightforward answer that it's kind of a polite way of saying who cares. Allah knows how long we were here. What's the, what's the difference? We're here. What's the big deal? We're here. The conversation is done now. So how do we know it's done? Keep reading. So now, your master knows how long you were here. Go and appoint someone that will take this cash to the city and watch out. Which food is more pure? I'll pause there for a second. OK? I'm just going to leave the cursor there. That's where we paused. Now here's what's going to happen. They woke up after a long, long time. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing your body wants? After you know, brush your teeth, do all of that stuff. You want food, right? You're hungry. So they, call, they don't call it break fast break breakfast for nothing, right? You've been starving the entire night. You want to eat something. So the first thing that they do is, we are starving, so we need to go and send one of you out there, out of this cave, to go get some food. Now here's the problem. How many years have gone by? We're going to see, uh, uh, I guess, a hint of, we don't know the exact number, but a possibility of how many years they've been in this cave, okay? But let's just say they've, there's a good chance they've been in this cave for hundreds of years, okay? So you're talking about generations now, how have passed. The culture has changed, the leaders have changed, the, everything. The atmosphere, you know, the landscape, the infrastructure, everything has changed. Even the foods have changed, okay? Even the language and the accents, all of them have changed. Now, one of them is going to come out of this cave. He still has some old currency money that he's going to use. So we're talking about, remember back in the days? And if you don't remember this, you'll definitely make the rest of us feel really old. You guys, remember the dollar bill? Does remember that? Does anybody still have one of those? I still have one. Yeah, well, I'm not, I haven't gone that far. <laughs> yeah, but there's the $2 bill as well. Um, I remember seeing a $1,000 bill, just seeing it. I never owned one, but I just remember seeing one. But anyhow, so pretend these guys have a bunch of dollar bills, Canadian dollar bills. That's what they're going to use now. So obviously now the currency has completely changed, but they are hungry. So they say, watch out, which food is more pure Then he should bring some provision from it? So that's Quran's way of saying. So go out there, from Zakah means pure. So go out there and don't just buy anything. Kind of hints to another, you know, something interesting about these these young brothers is that... uh, When they wake up and they're hungry, they're not just thinking, oh, I'll eat anything. I touch anything we find. They say, believe it or not, this ayah here, amongst others, are, are one of many verses throughout the Quran that encourage overall healthy eating. It is highly disliked. Not haram, but very discouraged in Islam based on ayat like this. There's even hadith as well to just consume and depend on unhealthy foods as part of being a believer is you're also keen and you pay attention to what you eat that is just as important as what you breathe as what you say what you choose to consume so if you go to the grocery store you're always into like fast foods or junk food and things like that to an extent okay fine A little bit of this and a little bit of that. But if that's what your body depends on, you have to address that. And you don't just address it because it's a health issue. You also address it because it's part of your Iman. It's part of your Iman to take care of your appetite and have a good appetite. Go with healthy eating as much as possible. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said, go out there and go look for food. But because this word is here, it describes now the food, that we want something like good, decent, healthy, fresh, that sort of thing. Okay? So So he should bring back some of it. So don't go out there. You know how sometimes you, like, go out? with some friends or whatever, and um, they'll say like, okay, there's three of you, i am be like, okay, so we'll have five steaks, um, we'll have four plates of rice, some pasta, you guys want some fries with that? We'll have four bowls of fries, four boxes, all of them large is what you, fine, just bring all large. I kid you not, um, one time I went, out with, uh, uh, I went out with a friend in the University of Medina, okay? And it's just me and him alone. And we sat at a table bigger than the table that we're sitting at. Probably equivalent to two of your tables, right? So I'm on one side, he's on one side. We have the whole table for ourselves. He ordered enough food. He ordered enough food and he filled the entire table just for me and him. So I, I'm new to Arabic at this point. So I'm just trying to figure out what exactly he's saying. And then I start to see all these plates of food coming, coming. So I asked him, I was like, Is, are there other people coming? He's like, no. He goes, bismillah, go ahead. And he literally just kind of leaned back on his chair and he sat there watching me eat. So I'm like, are you not going to eat? He took a little fry, <laughs> took a little hummus, and that's it. He just kind of sat there. So I, it, it ate me up inside. I had to ask. I'm like, why did you order so much? What do you want to do with all of this? And he's like, that's how we treat our guests. I, I, till this day, I, I still can't understand that. Like I understand what he meant, but I just can't understand why that somebody would feel that is okay. Is this, so the culture there is, if I can show you, I can afford it, I'm going to buy it, even if I don't use it, even if I don't consume it the culture is, I can show you, and that's how we treat our guests. We give them and treat them the best by buying as much as we can to say, haha, you know, you're with a great host here, and it just goes to waste. But it didn't go to waste. All of it was eaten, you know. You know how? We're students. Students are never, ever full. We eat 24 hours a day. So yeah, you better believe I told the guy, pack all of it. He packed like 12 or 14 boxes of food. And I went back on campus and they just gave it out, man. They devoured that. Like as if all the campus was the people in the cave and they just ate it all out. It was done. So when, the point is when you come to verses like this, don't just read through it. Like take a moment and see how you, how can the verse speak to you? How does it talk to you? So when you see little things like this, that they asked for just a portion of it, They were also conscious of how much food that this person has got to bring. Don't overdo it. That's one way of looking at it. That they all they were careful of not to waste food, but also their finances must have been very limited as well, right? And by the way, act normal. See this word here. This word you have it there where it says latif under your notes it says latif. be subtle blend in be subtle and blend in so this person's got to be smart because so many years went by they don't know exactly how many years but because things are so different what must you do you can't like act like a foreigner And that's very true till this day. If you go to like Egypt and you go to other countries and you just walk around, you're immediately targeted, right? Beggars will come to you or or, people will come to you and sell you all sorts of things. Why? Because they know you're a foreigner. So his job was to try to do as best as he can and just blend in. Try to act like the people. Try to talk like the people. Do what you can. Blend in and nobody should realize who you are. Okay, so they've been in this cave approximately 300 years, and we'll see how where that number comes from. By the way, those guys down there, past the mountains, if they come, if you, if you come, you, they'll, you shall then stone. They shall then stone you to death. Okay. Yeah, there's a little typo there. They shall then stone you to death or they will integrate you back into your nation and they will never succeed in that case. So what happened here? So take a look at your notes. The word that is used here for nation is this word here. Milla. Milla is the word used here, not deen. So what's going to happen here? If you go down, so if this person goes down and he gets caught and he gets recognized that he's part of the teachings of Islam, like he believes in only one creator, but the land now it's fully established that that religion has now been erased and eradicated. Nobody on that in that land is allowed to believe in anything except what the king or the leaders say you should believe in. So if he gets caught and his belief is exposed, then... If they come, then he will be punished with stoning. So he'll basically be executed. Or they'll force you to integrate back into society. So in other words, they'll force you to leave your religion and accept the new religion and integrate, go to the churches or to what have you, and literally practice a different way of life. So what is the lesson here? Take a look at some of the notes we have, right? So this is ayah number 20. Back on the religion, you're back against your country. So if he were to hold on to his faith, he would turn, he would be accused of all of these things. You're turning yourself against your country, against your people, against your culture, and so on. So this struggle or this fight is against ideology. And a lot of young people, they, when they're on this journey, to discover Dean, and it's not just young, it's all of us. When you're on this journey to discover and learn about your religion, it's very easy for all of us, including myself, it's very easy for us to forget the struggle, forget where we came from. So that when we see people who do the things that perhaps we either did or we were exposed to, it's very common. Like, this is a real internal problem amongst Muslims today. Like, it's, it's, a, it's an internal problem amongst the ummah of um, carrying out judgment on people. And just judging people in general. And not realizing that the way Allah guided you, he could also guide them too. They're still alive, they're not dead. So, of course, he or she might look like everything except a Muslim or a believer. But you don't know what Allah will do with them tomorrow. And some of the ulama say that if you have the habit of judging others and putting them down and labeling them and things like that. It's actually one of the ways of how Allah will remove your iman and give it to the person that you're judging. So you got to be careful because there's tons of examples like that in Islamic history. People who passed on labels and judgments on others forgetting that they were also once lost and misguided. So think of every companion you know. Every single companion pretty much was a revert. Before Islam, they were drinking alcohol, they were committing zina, they were um, uh, dishonest in business, they would steal, they would do every single thing you can imagine. That's why Umar radiallahu anhu once said, like if it wasn't for islam we would just continue to be lost and ignorant right we would just continue to be lost and ignorant like we just would be up to all sorts of things but islam came and took us out of that so this ayah here it kind of reminds us of a reality that a lot of young people go through that sometimes, and I just put here for like MSAs, but just in general, you know, they go through university or they go through, they take some program, they go to another country or city, they study an alim program or something, they get their act together, and sometimes they forget. So they'll, look, they'll make comments like this, watch out for this, okay? Watch out for this. Because if you hear this, it's important to remind and address it when you hear it. Especially when young people say, oh, these as I tell you. What's Allah going to do to them? Man, Jahannam's going to be pretty full with all of them. When you hear that kind of talk, stop it immediately. Because you don't know. You don't know where their tomorrow will be. Okay? So it's kind of, that idea is 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 kind of um, mentioned now in this ayah. And... Allah then says that if they them they chose to blend in to leave off their religion and just do what culture and society expected from them, they will never succeed in that case. This last part of the verse, do we see examples of that today? Of people like, a lot of times if they get involved in like politics civic engagement activists you know that's a tough area to be in and it's not tough because of the work it's tough because you're muslim and you're somebody who has certain limitations and that's why you'll say you'll hear things like you know um i don't really practice that part of the religion because allah judges my heart as long as my heart is good i'm good So you'll find like these ultra liberal Muslims that come out and say things and they'll post it all over online, say things like, you know, I don't need to dress this way. I don't need to act this way. And especially if I'm with my colleagues, you know, I can bend a few rules here and there. Nobody can judge me. You start developing that sort of watered down ideology. You start watering down the deen very much to a point where everything, everything can be convened. Everything can be possible. So you have nothing to stand for. You have no limitations when it comes to your deen. That's walan tuflihu idhan abida. Don't think of this as just an akhira thing. This is also a process in the dunya. That Allah will remove success from them in this world. And it will carry on even in the afterlife. Where is the evidence for that? It's this word. Students remember this word, okay? Falah. So the word for success, you might want to write it down on the side, success in verse number 20, the word that is used is falah, F-A-L-A-A-H, F-A-L-A-A-H, falah, why I want you to write this word down, is because this is the most common word in the entire Quran to describe success, have you heard a verse that sounds like this, okay? So falah is mentioned throughout the Qur'an, several surahs. Now, what does this mean exactly? Falah means you work now, you invest now, but you don't see the fruits of your labor now. You see the fruits of your labor in the afterlife. So somebody who is... Seeking this type of success is not seeking the result of their efforts now. They don't care about it now. They want to see it when they meet Allah. So Allah promises for believers, you will have that success. All the sacrifice that you put forth to hold on to your faith now, you're not going to see the fruits of it. Not, Not all the time. Maybe you'll have sparks of it here and there. But don't depend on that. Because Allah promised you. Muflihun. Falah. Allah promised you that when you come to him in the akhirah, That's when it's all going to pay off. Falah is also another name for a farmer. Okay. The farmer plants their seeds into the ground. And then leaves it there. And has to nurture it for the entire year. And when do they harvest? At the end of the year. That's when the fruits come. So it's like the farmer telling the kid, you know, the kid's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you going to, you're going to put this in the ground, then what? Farmer tells the kid, you know, you'll see, don't worry, just be patient and you'll see. What must the farmer do with what he put into the ground in order for it to grow and harvest? What must he do to it? Does he just leave it there and walk away and come back after a year? What must he do? He's got to nurture it. (laughs) He's got to take care of it, Right? He's got to prevent infestation and all that sort of thing. He's got to really spend time nurturing it. What must you do with your faith in order that you will have success later on? What must you do with it? How do you nurture your faith? How do you do that? Okay, so dua, um, all like the zakat, prayer, all of that stuff. So in other words, summarize it. Do everything Islamic, as much of it as possible. Whatever Islamic that you can do. That's how you nurture. That's the watering that we give. As a matter of fact, this is like, I'm not pulling this out of nowhere. This is actually in the Quran, at the very end of Surah Al-Fatih. Muhammadur Rasulullah Then that ayah concludes that surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about that we are actually like spiritual plants. We are actually spiritual plants. And the way that we nurture ourselves and we get quote-unquote water so that we can grow is everything Islamic that you do. And the more Islamic things you do in your life, the healthier you grow. The stronger the plant, the the more it'll harvest, the more you nurture it, you care for it, you protect it. It'll continue to grow. It'll continue to blossom. So that imagery is actually, it's something found in the Quran itself. So the point here is that this is another verse, like what we did last week, where how sometimes Allah will speak about a story, then interrupt it with a random ayah, and then go back to the story. So this is another example of that. وَكَذَٰلِكَ أَعْثَرْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ لِيَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ وَعَدَ اللَّهِ حَقٍ So verse number 21, and that is how, previous event, we made them slip so that all of them could know the promise of Allah is true, and that the hour there is no doubt in it. We should build a monument here. Okay, pause there. So, everything so far that's happened. And you guys see at the bottom there, in verse number 20, look at the last point that I wrote down. These guys still blended in. Do you see what I wrote in brackets? Through character. What do you learn from that? Through character. You know how we, we say actions speak louder than words? You know, for me, honestly, I feel like sometimes that's a hadith. Like, that's how real that is. It's everything about our life in this world, our life on Earth, is all connected to etiquettes. It's all connected to our mannerisms. If you strive to live to be a good person, Allah will make you a good believer, a good Muslim. The starting point to that, even for the Prophet ﷺ, his starting point for him to be a prophet. What did Allah do with him? How old was the Prophet ﷺ when he became a prophet? Hmm? 40. Agree? So approximately 40 years old. What then did Allah do with him 40 years prior? What was he doing? How did people describe him before he became a prophet? Every amazing quality you can imagine. So what do we learn from that? Prophet went through a training in etiquettes and mannerisms first, and then he was an amazing person. Now you're ready for Quran. So then Allah gives it to him. Now you become a Prophet. What was the platform that Allah built for him? Be a good person be honest gentle kind respectful loving caring don't hate don't discriminate don't be a racist treat everybody equally fairly with respect and 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 and, that's what he was known for you do all of that you're ready for a quran that's the exact same formula we're supposed to follow unfortunately for a lot of muslims as a culture around the world we did the opposite We did the opposite. The etiquettes and the mannerisms got shoved in the ground. And as long as, like, yeah, I can recite that sula, oh, I know this and that. Listen to a thousand YouTube videos and start giving fatawis and doing all that cool stuff, right? But the guy's the most miserable. He has anger issues. can't trust him. He's the worst husband or she's the worst wife, uh, worst parent, worst mother, worst father. You name it. Everything when they're not practicing their deen is just terrible. So that's how one of two things end up happening either now islam becomes a source of their punishment or they end up losing it altogether. so you'll notice that somebody who memorized a lot of quran for example will forget it and as time as they grow and in life they'll forget that allah will snatch it away from their heart the number one place to address that and remedy that is not just going back to the Qur'an and start reviewing and burning yourself through it now. No. There's an etiquette in your life. There's some kind of manner in your life that's, that needs some help. Fix it. Maybe you have issues just being honest with people. Maybe you have anger problems. So fix it. Then Allah will give you the Qur'an again. A lot of people don't think like that. A lot of people don't think about Islam with that approach. That anytime I'm struggling with something in our deen... Let me go back to myself and my mannerisms, and see how I'm behaving. And then, oh, and then you start seeing, oh man, I need to fix this, I need to fix that. You know, they say every Muslim should do one thing every night before they go to bed. And ask yourself this one question, what is something in my life I need to repair or improve? A hundred percent of the time, you will always be able to answer this question, always. If you do that every night, you will literally shred and burn dishonesty from the heart. Because if you can be real with you, you can be real with anybody. If you can be the most critical with yourself and really micromanage you, then everybody else around you becomes easy. No matter what they present to you, you can deal with it. So that's something that is widely missing in people in general, right? So these guys, they use their character, and they blend it in. So now, yep. How do you find out that they are from the IS? So the idea here is that they're being sent, or at least one person is being sent okay, outside to get food. He's not being sent to go and preach his religion. He's not being sent to go give da'wah. He's being sent to do what? Just to go get food. And because that purpose mentioned in the ayah has nothing to do with religion, per se, the ulama take from that. So it's generally what he's being sent to do is to interact and mingle and blend in with the people. You cannot do that with religion. You do that with mannerisms. That's how that fa- that benefit gets extracted, OK? He's not going out there to preach to everybody. We were in the cave for 300 years. We are a miracle of Allah. Let me tell you who is the true... No. Go get some food and don't get caught. Talk like the people, talk, act like them, dress like... Do whatever you can. But they they, they really couldn't do that. You'll see. So... That is how in the previous, ayah uh, the promise of Allah is true and ours is no doubt. Okay. Uh, <inaudible> the promise of Allah is true. So this is a, continue, a continuation of the previous ayah. وَأَنَّ السَّعَةَ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهَا إِذْ يَتَنَازَعُونَ بَيْنَهُمْ أَمْرَهُمْ It's the hour that there is no doubt in it whatsoever. We should build a monument here. So, فَقَالُوا بِنُوا عَلَيْهِمْ So, this here is actually in reference so this ayah is more of like a segue it's going to the prophet Alaihi Wasallam and the meccans right so it's kind of connecting a lot of what we've taught the prophet and what he's going to be dealing with in mecca so you have the quraishis you have the meccans you have these famous powerful tribes there and he's got to now be able to convince them that look all these idols that you built of previous leaders and saints and so on, they all have to be destroyed. Because what is the consequence, if you create or build a statue of anyone, what is the consequence of that? Ultimately, it leads to what? Yeah, that's how idol worship is born. It it, it may take a hundred years, a couple hundred years, eventually it happens. Anybody here ever visit the Statue of Liberty? I visited once. You know the first thing I saw when I got there? There were people doing the whole prayer thing right at the statue, right at the feet of, feet of the statue. They're kind of just looking up and they're kind of doing their own personal prayer. It was, a, it was like truly remarkable in the sense that I, I never heard of that. So I don't know if this was like a particular group, if this was just that one moment. I don't know what it was. I just... Notice I kind of looked and I was talking about like, whoa, there's actually people praying to this thing. And that was it. Just a few minutes and they were going their way. It was just very unusual. But then at the same time, oh, that's what those ayat mean. It eventually happens. Even if the purpose of the statue or the monument, that's not its purpose. And it's told to the people. And like, this is not something, it's not a point of worship for anybody. The fact that it exists is a problem. You know, it's like opening a door. And the door is really beautiful. Everything behind the door is so beautiful. But it says, oh, the big sign says, do not enter. But the door is wide open. There's a big carpet at the bottom. This is welcome. That's kind of the, the idea. So that's why Islam tries to stop this from its very beginning. But the Qurayshis will say, well, look, you know, if we just want to build a statue or some kind of monument just to remember them. Look what Allah the Prophet ﷺ is told to say to Rabbuhum a'lamu bihim. Their master knows better what to do with them those who came overpowered in conversation were going to build a masjid over them as a memory so these are some of the things that they said says so okay fine if you're going to build a masjid then we can build a masjid in the same places where these idols were we'll build it there so at least do you see how they're trying to how we say kill two birds with one stone they're like okay fine destroy the idols no problem you can build your masjid there though on that spot so at least when we come into the masjid, we're thinking about now two things. We're not just thinking about Allah anymore. I'm standing at the spot where this uh, statue was, Allahu Akbar, and I won't pray anywhere else. Still a problem. That's one of the reasons why we cannot build uh, masajid over graveyards and things like that, right? So it's, it's, where is all of this going? I think it's important that you do understand this. But um, b- before we even do it, let's take a look at some of the uh, notes that I left here w- for you, OK? Um, comes from which means to slip, to say something that gives away a s- secret, walks in to buy food, and speaks in foreign. So if you to connect all of this to the story, because it begins by connecting us to the story, So don't slip, don't accidentally say something, and then it gives away that you're foreign. So don't walk in there. And if people are used to saying, Hi, can I just get a large fries and a burger? But you walk in there because you're 300 years late, and you're like, Thou shalt have fried potatoes with thy slaughtered meat large. <laughs> you know? So he's going to have his own accent, his own choice of words is like just be careful with that as well, right? So this is very common today. Like some of the students that would learn Arabic, they would sound like this, right? And I re- I had a professor that told us never like train ourselves not to do this. Train yourself when you speak Arabic, speak like the Arabs, right? And that took some time, but then you'll have some students be like, Ana <laughs> asir so you're speaking Arabic, but you sound what? <laughs> you definitely sound like you know. You, instead of the guy taking your say, so where are you from? Before you, before I give you, where are you from? So teachers will be like, no, practice. Say, just just spit it out. And sometimes you gotta like practice to get that accent going, right? So same idea here. Um, Uh, I don't know why I wrote something here about wedding day. Yeah. I remember I taught taught this to a group of high schoolers, getting married, no. Wedding next day, I don't know, it'll come to me though, just give me a second. The purpose of this is in its conclusion of it. instead of the people started disagreeing and wanted to go back to the cave by this time, dominant religion, Christianity, muahidun. Okay. Uh I don't before it was much intaction, they had I'll pass it, they were supposed to be an ayah for later generations. So this ayah basically um, also, the lesson behind it is that uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta-A'la wants us, and that's why there's a lot of conversation here about the last day, the day of judgment, it's a kind of a reminder to us that, um, you know, this story at the end of the day, these individuals uh, stayed in this cave, they did what they did, but they never lost their faith, and even though they slowly and gradually integrated back into society, they still never let go of their deen until their death. Okay? They held on. So no matter how foreign they were, no matter how awkward they sound, no matter how they fit in or didn't fit in at times. By the way, does this ayah, like, is this ayah relevant to today? As Muslims? Yeah. You, you, You ever pray in public and see what that feels like? Yeah. And even if you're not praying in public, When you just dress and look like the way you look, like a Muslim. All those stares that you get. All the mistreatment or, you know, the level of respect is different for you and me than others. All of that. Uh, These individuals, the lesson for us is that they held on. There's a verse that I want you to know, okay? It's verse number 41 in Surah Al-A'raf. Okay, I just I just want you to know this verse. Um, I, I I gave uh, I did the khutbah on this verse just the last time I was here. وَقَالُوا لِهَذَا وَمَا كُنَّا لِنَهْتَرِي اللَّهُ So this verse highlights that the people before they enter Jannah, they will say Alhamdulillah. Okay, why are they saying Alhamdulillah? They're about to enter Jannah. First thing they say, "Alhamdulillah, li-. Praise be to the one that guided us to this moment. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because of all the sacrifice of holding on to their faith whilst they were alive. It paid off. You know how sometimes, I, you know, you'll have these days where you're just like, my God, man, this is, this ain't easy. Fajr every single day and it just gets earlier and earlier and earlier that's one problem because then it limits your rest but then the other problem when it gets later and later and later is that you got to be on the road at 6 a.m or else you'll be late for work and Fajr is 601 or 605 and you're stuck on the 401 at that time and if you only spare that extra five minutes you're late and you got to deal with that so then you start having to look for fatwa. is yeah, it okay if I just pray at work 10 minutes, 15 minutes, late? and, 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 and. So you, you got to battle through all of that. They said, alhamdulillah, first thing, why? Because it paid off. Like they couldn't see the fruits of it when they were here. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see why they were praying every single day, what the result of that was. They couldn't see why they wore their hijab. They couldn't see why they studied. They went to a class at 7 p.m. during the week and stayed there till almost 9 o'clock. They couldn't see where this was leading to, but they held on. So they said, Alhamdulillah, the one who guided us to this. Allah. <laughs> They continued, then they said, Alhamdulillah, allatih hadana lihada. They said, hadha, this, right in front of us. Hadha is describing, not jannah, it's describing something else. Does anybody know what it is? They're saying, Alhamdulillah, Allah guided us to this. It's not jannah though. Means, these people saw something more than jannah. We don't know what that is, though. I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing that Jenna is only a little, ap- like an appetizer or a snack. The main course, the real meal, we don't know what that is. Can you imagine that? Tell me something that you know about Jenna right now. What do you know about Jannah? Tell me something. Just shout it out to me. What do you know about Jannah? Okay, and there's different levels of Jannah. Okay? What else do you know about Jannah? How does it look like? Are there trees in Jannah? How big are these trees? It'll take 500 years for somebody to walk around the uh, shade of one tree. 500 years. Does Jannah have like a a ground that you walk on? Yeah, it's got land you walk on. It's It's not dirt, by the way, it's not sand. They're saffron flowers. Does Jenna have rivers? How many? At least four. At least four. We only told four, but there could be more. Okay, rivers of honey, <laughs> rivers of yogurt, Your rivers of the halal, of course, alcohol or 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 wine, rivers of water, but not the water that we have to purify here. This is different. Rivers. I don't even, I don't think I've ever seen a cartoon or a movie where there was a river of honey. Like, I don't even know how that looks like. That's just, that, those are four rivers we're told about, right? Anything else? Are there, um, how do we look in Jannah? How do we look? Does anybody know what is the age bracket of Jannah? So approximately 30 to 33. Do you know that 30 to 33 is what we say in Arabic is called shabun? It's actually a young person, a young person, the peak of this young age, or for them to be counted as that they're still young, the peak of that is between 30 and 33. So once you pass 33, then you come into my territory, right? (laughs) Then you're old, (laughs) right? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you guys. If you feel it, I feel it too, right? So once you pass that, everybody in Jannah is young. Is beautiful. Um, do we eat in Jannah? Yeah. What do you eat? Whatever you want. Yeah. Whatever you want. Sometimes kids ask me like, are there, is there going to be fries in Jannah? <laughs> yeah. What's the answer to that? Yeah. Of course. 100%. You, you get whatever you want. All of this that I just told you. All of it Allah calls an appetizer. It's just the thing to tickle your love and interest for Jannah. You haven't even seen what Jannah really looks like. So these persons, when they said, Alhamdulillah, they saw something that we don't know and we can't see until we're there, inshallah. Okay? So that's just my way of kind of like, when you take all of these verses and you see, you know, the true lesson behind all of this, um, that inshallah, hopefully that it, it, it continues to keep that light ignited and, you know, inshallah, continuous in your heart that you hold on to your deen. Okay, yeah. So, um, what's the, one of the things when I read this ayah that I don't understand is like, what is the, the, the kind of relationship of the parts where it says like their Lord, their Lord knows best about them. What How does that connect to what's before or what's after? Like, so that's where the, the scholars them they go through with several opinions on this, right? So, a'lamu bihim" is perhaps their lords or their masters know the true state of their condition. Either it's referring to those people in the cave, their lord, meaning their master, each and every one of them, who they deem. Of course, it goes back to Allah. So Allah is counting each of them, Allah knows their situation better than they know. Or it could also be referring to whom the Quraysh were praising and trying to build these monuments about. Like Imam al Qurtubi has a whole section of this talking about that this was referring to when the Quraysh were trying to make a case for them to build and keep these monuments and statues and so on, that the Prophet ﷺ is guided to say to them, Rabbuhum the master of these people that you're trying to build these monuments and praise knows more than them. So it's it's just kind of like the ayah's way of saying, like, look, no matter how much more you think or how much you praise and how much you connect and love these people, there are aspects of the, your life that you don't know of, of them, of their life that you don't know. Allah knows. It's just Qur'an's way of keeping us relying solely just on Allah and nothing else. So were the Uresh trying to build monuments uh, over where, these people, were, or where yeah. Were people Yeah. Yeah. All, oh. all throughout the Arabian Peninsula, not just in Mecca, all throughout in Jordan, all throughout the Arab world. Yeah, because why? I mean, if you can build these statues and you can build these monuments like if you ever study ancient Egypt, What's ancient Egypt? Pretty much everything that's been discovered of them so far. It's just pure, pure idols upon (laughs) idols upon idols upon idols. It's endless. And all of these idols are connected to some significant person, king, queen, something. And Hmm? And And all of their families, their children, everything, right? It's part of just preservation to just keep that legacy going. Yeah. Yeah, ask him about the people of the cave. Yeah, that is also a valid narration on this as well. Yeah, so like, uh, from, from what, how I see it, it's like the, the, the stories are actually broken kind of into two. Yeah. There's like an initial part, and then there's like a gap, and then there's a the second part. Yeah, absolutely. The 300 uh, answer comes. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe this, cause this is this kind of the end of the first part? So yeah. So maybe that is in referral to... Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not going to, you know, yeah. discredit it at, at all. Right? And this is the beauty about Quran this is the beauty about when you come across several opinions on anything with respect to the Quran, right? It's it's more knowledge, it gives you a different perspective to appreciate, like, it just enhances the comprehensive nature of what a verse is, that it's not just restricted to one belief or one interpretation. This is why we have not hundreds, but thousands of different tafsirs of the same book, of the same exact ayat. All the ulama, their knowledge and the level that Allah has blessed them with, are able to extract something different about each of these verses so yeah absolutely and that is also one of the most common and most authentic opinions of what's happening here okay the prophet was approached by a group of Jews and they wanted to test his prophethood so they asked him about you know these people of the cave describe them to us if he was able to answer this then he was a true prophet but look what happened. So this is verse number 22. They say there were three. fourth was a dog. Then they say that there were five or six. And the sixth one was a dog. And all of this is pelting stones in the dark. Then, then they say seventh and the eighth was a dog. Okay. So how many people are in this cave? These are some of the numbers that were thrown, thrown up and... Perhaps it could be this amount, that, that amount. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. Uh, this part here, where it says uh, all of this is pelting stones in the dark. That's the, that's the explanation of it. You know how some people will just like mumble off random things and it doesn't make any sense. So it kind of like their opinion just gets lost. Everybody forgets nobody was listening. That's Rajman Bil Ghaib. So all of them try to come up with these numbers of how many people is just throwing stones in Al Ghaib in the dark. It just it makes no sense and it'll just be forgotten, right? من, uh, so how how do you settle this? This is the best, easiest, most effective, authentic way of doing it. My master knows better how many there was. Not many of them know. Okay. Don't argue with them except in a way that is obvious and clear with proofs. And don't ask any fatwa about them, meaning the Jews. So this is in connection to the narration that we were talking about, right? What do you learn from this? I want you to just sort of focus your concentration here. Don't argue with them except in a way that is obvious and clear with proofs. What do you learn from this concluding um, translation of the ayah? What, what's the lesson for you now? Reading that. Huh? Say, yeah, this is what we want to get to. If you don't have clear, explicit proof about anything you're talking about, what do you do? Let knows. Walk away. Leave it alone. That's the whole point here. See, you know when we say guidance is, is with Allah, like whoever Allah guides, none can misguide. You can't forget that when you have these conversations about Islam with non-Muslims, don't forget that. Because this is one of the reasons why I personally don't debate. I don't get into like these deep theological conversations with any, with non-Muslims in particular, unless. You know, they're, you know, they meet me at a certain place where at least we have some commonalities. At least, okay, you, you're, you're on a journey for faith. You, you want to learn who is Allah and you're on that journey. Okay, fine. Let's, let's talk. Let's have something in common. But the end of that conversation, I never worry about. No one should. Because the ending of that conversation is Allah's territory. Whether that conversation re- leads to something beneficial or not. Your job and my job is to do what? Just have the conversation. That's it. But then you see a lot of guys, a lot of, you know, videos online. Guys getting into like heated debates at parks and parking lot and this and that. Going, I mean, if that's your thing, fine. And I can't say that that is completely like, um, unbene- you know, like, there's no benefit. I can't say just dismiss that. I mean, maybe there's some khair in it. But you've got to have limits to how far you take those conversations about your deen. Because why guidance is with Allah. And once you have explicit proof, if the others can't understand it, wassalamu alaykum, move on. Leave it as is, right? Um, so this is the same guidance that was given to the prophet, alayhi salatu when the Jews, they came and they asked him about uh, the people of the Cape. Okay. Uh, nothing that I want to highlight there. فَاعِنَانَ Don't you, the Prophet, dare say about anything that I am definitely going to do this tomorrow except if Allah wills. So in other words, here's what ends up happening. So go to the narration. He's sitting there and he's talking to this group, Prophet Now here's a pretty important lesson. Allah then tells him, don't say anything um, with certainty. Like don't assure them, I will definitely have the answer. Who these people of the cave are, I'll definitely have it. But just give me until tomorrow. Unless you say, except if Allah wills. What do you learn from this so far? So we have to have a conversation here about insha'Allah. OK? Because now the Prophet والسلام, is being taught a lesson here. Don't ever say that you're going to do something or say something to anybody unless after that you say what? Insha'Allah. Now I got to have a conversation. Um, when do you use Insha'Allah? When do you use it? I mean, definitely plan on doing something can I use it like this oh Allah bless me inshallah oh Allah accept this dua inshallah no why not because the prophet said that when you ask Allah like, be firm don't say oh, Allah if you wish okay okay anything else okay Okay all of us we know the answer to this but it's a game it's just about putting our thoughts in the right place okay you all know this um, when you say inshallah you're saying that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides that this is best or decides that this is what should happen when you're making dua who are you talking to there's no need to say inshallah to the one who's going to fulfill your dua makes sense you don't need to say it because only Allah can answer your dua anyway. Because if you say inshallah, or if you say if, it opens the door for what? No, it opens the door that somebody else could answer you. Because you can say, oh Allah, if you will, if you want. Kind of like it doesn't bring all the guarantee with Allah anymore. You leave it in his hands, But if he if he decides what if he doesn't maybe somebody else will so you eliminate all of that it's it's unbelievable how meticulous preserving the oneness of Allah in our hearts is in Islam it's unbelievable two letters I F don't say it when you talk to Allah. Why? Because it can lead to this, <laughs> subhanAllah. There's a whole chapter in aqeedah called if. In Arabic, we call this law, right? Lam, waw. There's a whole chapter. When you study aqeedah it's just called the chapter of if. And it's got several hadith and all sorts of things. Okay, so fine. Here's how you remember to use inshallah. You never use inshallah when you're talking to Allah. Number two, inshallah is only used when you're the one that's going to do something or you're planning to do something. So, inshallah, you know, I'll be here tomorrow. That's you planning that you're going to do something, be here tomorrow. You're planning to be there tonight. You're planning to go here. You, 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 you. Now, that's with inshallah. The Prophet والسلام, is being taught in this ayah. Don't say anything. See this word here? Now, those of you who study Arabic, this is called the heavy noon, a noon that has this little W called the shadda. It's called the heavy noon. This is not originally part of this verb. Okay? This letter is added here to add emphasis to the verb so it's not that Allah is saying don't, it's Allah is saying don't you dare think about saying you're going to do anything tomorrow unless you say inshallah what do you learn from that? No, but in terms of the emphasis, what do you learn that Allah is emphasizing? is Allah saying, not don't say, don't you dare say it. Don't you dare utter it. See the difference? What's the difference when I talk that way to you? When I say to you, listen, don't say you'll do that unless you say, inshallah, as opposed to, listen to me. Don't you dare. What's the difference between the two of them? Hmm? before all of that this is a serious matter like you see there's there's a problem with inshallah with people with muslims okay but there's a problem there's a there's a habit that gets built with people who say inshallah very often that um you have to be careful about and that habit is when it just becomes repetitive you, you know, I don't want to say this, but I mean, back in back in Medina, we used to say, oh, I don't, no, I don't want to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it. No, no, no. But uh, have you heard, like, the fake, inshallah? Yeah. Is that the real, inshallah? You know how some people will be like, when you invite them, like, oh, listen, I really want you to come over for dinner tomorrow. Would you, you can bring your family? There? Yeah, okay, inshallah, don't worry about it. Inshallah, inshallah. Like, is that a, is that a real, Inshallah that that kind of inshallah right that's the problem that's why you need Wala that's why you need that heavy noon this heavy noon is like this is serious stuff like don't play around with it, inshallah because you all know the consequence if you don't say it because if you don't say it then you're not prepared for the outcome if you don't say it, you're not prepared for it. Because if you say, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. Just don't worry about it. It's done. And then something happens tomorrow and you're like, oh my God, I'd never expected this to happen. You start talking like that. But if you say, I'll be there tomorrow, inshallah, then whatever happens before you get there, you're like, this is what Allah willed. So the the deeper wisdom, my next question would be like, why do we say insha'Allah? Most of you will say because only Allah can fulfill that. No, there's a deeper wisdom behind that. That's a lesson for us as Muslims. And that is to always keep us firm and positive, optimistic with whatever Allah's plan is. Because you might say insha'Allah, you know, this is the person my daughter or my son's gonna marry. This is the person that I really love for my child. Inshallah, they'll marry. And then something happens, it's very easy for you to say, hey, that's, that's what Allah willed. If you don't use Inshallah, and it's not a habit, and it breaks the, the, the engagement breaks off or whatever, how could you do this to my child? And it might turn into a whole ton of drama that you're not ready to deal with. All because Inshallah, is missing where am i getting this from look at the ayah (inaudible) remember allah if you forget why is allah telling us to remember him why is allah talking about people who might forget him that's exactly the whole point it's because they weren't saying inshallah then the consequence of that is that you ultimately forget Allah. Not, not forget Allah in like in Salah, in worship. No, you'll forget Allah in the times where you need Inshallah. You'll forget him. Then the pain kicks in. The stress kicks in. And then life kicks in. And then you're like, oh my God, I can't believe. Why would Allah do this to me? That kind of stuff starts coming out. All because of Inshallah is missing. You see how powerful an important insha'Allah, is so important that even the prophet والسلام, had to be taught this lesson. So Allah dis- reminds him, remember Allah if you forget and say perhaps and my master is going to guide me to something closer than this in terms of guidance. This is the part where after you say your insha'Allah, this is kind of your own wording. So you'll say "Insha'Allah." Dot, 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 whatever Allah wills, you know, whatever Allah thinks is best for me. You know, we have these conversations every day. We tell people, inshallah, you know, that's that little extra to reaffirm, to remind. That's also important here, and it's highlighted in this ayah, okay? Um, he would get an answer tomorrow, no, inshallah, when Jews ask him, okay, so we talked about this, um, so now because the prophet والسلام, he says to these this Jewish group I will get you the answer tomorrow and because he didn't say inshallah some of the ulama say that this is the reason why this verse number 24 here was revealed uh, others said no right I mean it, it's definitely connected to this incident but it's not the reason why one particular verse was revealed right and this, this surah has several different um, reasons why it was revealed right uh, but Khair, you know, that is opinion that some of our scholars of Tafsir sh- uh, share, so we won't um, discredit it or we won't ignore it. Um, let's take one last, at least the intro of the next verse, and then we'll pause there. So let's con- con- conclude the story. They remained at their cave for 300 years and they added another nine. So the Jews, they added another nine. So it turns out that it's approximately So he gets the answer. This is the answer that the Prophet, is now being guided to. Um, So So there's some additional detail for you. 300 solar years, 309 in lunar years. One solar year is 11 days longer than a lunar year. Just a little bit of... um, just a little bit of math that the ulama mentioned all of this by the way is found in the tafsir of imam al Qurtubi. like i didn't put this on my own this is actually the ulama coming to some sort of understanding with what this number could mean so three thousand days equals nine to ten years so putting all of this together Is it an additional nine years? Perhaps. Is it an additional nine weeks? Nobody really knows, but the most common opinion is that when the Jews added nine, meaning nine years. You see, it just stopped at Tissa. It just says nine. It doesn't say nine years, nine days, nine weeks, nine months. Nothing. Nothing was specified. So it's kind of left open for many, many different interpretations. The point here at the end of the day is, this is all I want you to take from this, is that hundreds of years went by. This is truly a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You now know the importance of this story, why it's mentioned to us. We stopped at pretty much every single ayah to try to extract something meaningful and something that we can relate to. So, inshallah ta'ala, you know, that this last ayah will conclude the story. Still, no matter going back and forth with the numbers, Allah still says, Tell them, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa that Allah knows better about how long they stayed in. He exclusively owns the unseen of the skies and earth what an amazing way to conclude this verse subhanallah he exclusively owns uh, he completely owns the unseen of the skies and earth. He sees and how amazingly well he hears. By the way, underline this. He sees and how amazingly well he hears. Underline that. Why? This is probably the only place in the entire Quran that Allah mentions seeing first before hearing. Most of the time, all the other verses, it's always, Asmi' bihi wa absir. This is one of the only times seeing came first. Why? It's because it's related back to the cave. Allah sees them when nobody else could see them. Basir, absir, complete view. Allah just doesn't see them from the cave. Allah sees what's in front of them, behind them, above them, below them, every single direction. That's called absir. And Asmi'ah, of course, Allah hears everything, especially the things that, of course, others don't hear. You're not going to find, uh, as well he hears, you're not going to find besides him any protective friend and no one to partner up with him in his rule. So it concludes, ma min dunihi min see this word wali, students, is one of the names of friends in the Qur'an. One of the names of friends in the Qur'an is wali. We already talked about this, didn't we? What does wali mean in terms of friend? What kind of friend is that? When we say a protective friend, what, kind of, what do they do? Mm-hmm. Apply what you know of a wali when the father gives away the daughter, apply that to friendship. Nobody's not giving away anybody in the friendship, but what is the role of the father as a wali to his daughter? What is his role to do? His role is to protect his daughter from being used, misguided, um, fooled, um, you know mistreated or abused or anything like that, tricked into believing this or that his the father is there to protect all of that. when you apply the same word to a friendship, think about that one friend. if you don't have one of this a friend like this, you know inshallah, I hope you do because the the kind of friend that that fits into the title of wali is really special, because what they protect is not just you; they also protect your dean. They respect it. So they'll be like, "Hey, um Ahmed, don't you got to do that sunset prayer right now? You just go do your thing." They'll literally say to you, know, I'll, "I'll go have a cigarette. You go do your prayer, okay? Don't miss it, all right?" Or oh, they'll see you be like, you know, if you if some kid is rude to their parents, they'll be like. Dude, like, I don't even talk to my parents that way. Why, do you, why, why are you doing that? Why are you yelling at your mom like that? That's a wali friend. So they don't have to be Muslim. But they're always looking out for you, your deen, and just kind of overall your best interest. That's wali. Allah says, You're not going to find any protective friend except... Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No partner with him can fit or come close to his rule. That concludes the story of the cave. Next week you will have a test. Whoever fails that, you'll be expelled from IAT. I'm joking. (laughs) Okay, we'll pause there. And next week, inshallah, we will start the next story, which is, of course, the story of the men of the two gardens, okay? And that is, again, another fascinating story. So we'll talk about that next week, inshallah. But uh, be prepared in case, you know, I wanna have some fun and a quiz will pop up next week, inshallah. Okay, I'm serious. So next week, I wanna do a short quiz. I'll probably ask you like, five or oh just sort of connected to the story I'll ask you 309 questions (laughs) inshallah uh, no, but I will, um, I'll ask you just a few questions, inshallah, just to, to ensure that you grasp the gist of the story, and then we'll move on, okay? So the f- beginning of next week's session, we'll do something really short for like 10 or 15 minutes, that's it. It's all multiple choice, so you're not going to be sitting there writing out story, no, just multiple choice, and then we'll move on, inshallah, to the next story. Subhanakallahumma, bihamdika, wa la ilaha, illa anta, astaghfiruka, wa atubu ilayk, wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.